You are listening to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, a Burning Hallows production. We are your otherworldly hosts, Alora Rain and Kitty Fields. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to receive notifications of future weekly episodes. We invite you to check out our sister podcast, Mimir's Well, where we explore taboo topics in the witchcraft community. And don't forget to visit my website, alorarain.com, to grab a tarot reading, numerology, or soul origin profile. And now on to the show. During a tumultuous time in American history, religion and superstition ruled the people's minds. Imagine this. You're a strong woman who's come into some money with your recent marriage to a prominent businessman. You buy not just one bar, but two. Your business is thriving. You're doing more than just surviving in a strange new land. One day, there's a noticeable unsettling shift in town. People, innocent people, are accused of witchcraft and cohorting with the devil. Panic ensues and the town wants nothing more than to eradicate the evil in their midst. You stay out of the way. Until the witch hunters come knocking at your front door, and you find yourself in jail and then in a courtroom, being accused of things you didn't do, and eventually you climb uphill to reach the noose where you'll meet your end. Your name is Bridget Bishop. This isn't a fictional story. This was a reality for over 200 people accused and tried for witchcraft during the Salem witch trials. Oracles, before we get started, we wanted to throw a special shout out to our first two patrons on Patreon. We appreciate you both, Heather and Kitty. You know who you are. Thank you so much. So Salem, Salem, we've never talked about Salem on here before. No. And I don't think it's talked about a whole lot really, but I think it's ingrained. It is. Yeah. Like I, it's, it's a part, it's definitely a part of Hollywood and mainstream media and all, but I don't feel like we dig into it enough, like in the witchcraft community. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. So we're going to do that. Woohoo. So what about you? Have you been drawn to the Salem witch trials, like the history of it, the stories? Some of it, yes. Uh, Especially, I think probably my first insight into the Salem witch trials was probably somewhere around middle school when we were forced to read the Scarlet Letter. Oh, yeah. They made us do that, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That happened. What about you? I feel like that might have been my first intro to it, too. Mm. Isn't that and just as a side note, I feel like that is so almost ridiculous that female women, female identifying women in general, get introduced to the fact that you are inferior Mm. in such a young age. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started. (laughs) Okay. So this is completely your jam, your wheelhouse, because I know that you've done far more research into this than I have. So can you explain what happened during the Salem witch trials, historically speaking? Mm. Well, I think, first of all, we're just going to say that 
I'm going to say that I didn't live back then, as far as I know, maybe a past life, but current, you know, my current life, I'm not living back then, but I think it was a very complex time. And so there's a lot that goes into this, right. And probably a lot that we don't know. Let's dive into it. Shall we? We shall. So I'd like to first set the scene of Salem in the colonial times, the people there, um, also the social and political climate, as well as the religious construct, if you will. So the year is 1692 and we're in Salem, a new colony in New England, mostly made up of Puritans, but there's also a Quaker family or two. Interestingly, I found out I have an ancestor who was a Quaker in Salem at this time. The weather and environment in Salem in 1692 in general is bleak and cold. Yes, bitterly cold. <laughs> the village is surrounded by forest and wilderness. And you're taught from a young age that anything bad that happens is because of the devil and his followers because of witches. Mm. You're taught that these witches and devils dwell in the woods around the village, very close to your front or back door, creeping ever closer to steal your soul. So it's been a really cruel winter. There's been some smallpox outbreaks. People have died all over New England. Now, as far as the political climate, it's not much better. Britain has increased taxes on the colony, of which the colony can't truly afford. And the Reverend Increase Mather has left the colony to go to the English court, seeking clarification on Salem's governmental architecture and procedures. So they're kind of left without their fearless leader at this point. Essentially, the people of Salem are governed by the church. So there's no separation of church and state at this time. So mm. anything done against the Bible or religion is done against the community and is a crime and a sin. Double whammy. Right. <laughs> and because of the religion, the Puritan religion, the villagers have no fun, no, hol no holidays. They're all piety and prayer and penance. God, that sounds like. The worst Last. life imaginable. <laughs> yeah, basically. Not to mention there are ongoing disputes over land ownership in the village. Of course. Yes. So I don't know if that set it up well as far as painting a picture of how, what life would have been like in Salem at that point. But what do you think? Oh, I think that it sounds terrible. Yeah. It sounds so like it, a it, terrible it, existence. Right. I mean, but it kind of, it, for me, like digging into this part of it, put more of the pieces into place. Oh, I definitely. Know. I think history is imminently influenced by cultural and societal norms of the time, mm -hmm. as well as the environment and right. graphical location and weather. All of that plays a part for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. So can you tell us what event specifically started the witch trials essentially the epicenter and the catalyst of the salem witch trials was it's basically an instance that happened in the reverend samuel paris's home he shared a home with his wife their daughter elizabeth also known as betty and their niece abigail williams and two slaves from the west indies tituba and her husband whom they called john indian so these girls are coming into puberty and 
this is kind of a little bit of my theorizing here, but they want to buck back against the strict rules of their parents and the society. And they begin to experiment with divination mm. as taught to them by Tichiba. Tichiba was also known to tell them stories of, in quotations, Mark's voodoo while the girls gathered in the kitchen where they all kept warm. So Betty starts to having these strange episodes or fits as they called them back then. And the niece, Abigail follows suit. And when the doctor comes to call, he finds no physical reason for these girls to be having these crazy fits. And he makes the suggestion that the girls are indeed bewitched. Mm. So then the girls spill the beans about the egg yolk games they've been playing with Tichuba and how she tells them stories of magic from her homeland. So immediately Tichuba is beaten and she confesses to this, but the fits continue. And now the girls are starting to accuse more people for being the cause of their fits. Um, and two of the, the women that they accuse are Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. They were the next uh, women accused after Tichuba. Mm. And then after that, we have more prepubescent teen, or teen girls joining the afflicted girls who are having these fits and convulsions. And they blame more and more people in Salem of witchcraft and cavorting with the devil. And it just kind of like, you know, spins out of control at that point. That's really to like sum it up in a nutshell. This is interesting. <laughs> well, because uh, so when I first discovered that I was highly empathic, mm -hmm. uh, it was due to seizures. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's almost pretty funny mm. that I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it, it almost seems like, like the way that my brain thinks about it, mm -hmm. are they really picking up all of this negative energy from where they are, which has nothing to do with anything else, but of course they're going to say that, you know, the girls are bewitched because of their belief systems. Right. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point that I never really took into consideration, to be honest. Or other side of the coin could have just been, you know, pre-adolescent girls wanting to rebel. That's kind of, yeah, that, that was my theory. But again, like that, that you could, you could pick that apart for, oh, yeah. forever. We could sit here and, and go around and around with that. Cause that, that aspect in and of itself, the girls just being afflicted, you know, their fits and convulsions, like what actually, what do those actually look like? You know, I don't know mm -hmm. if we, I mean, they, they've said, you know, okay, they were, they, they fall on the ground, they're shaking, they're yelling they're you know, but yeah, it's interesting to think about it from that angle. Okay. So let's get into who all was involved and we're talking about witch hunters, judges, preachers, priests, ministers, mm -hmm. etc. Yeah. So we'll get, we're going to get more into the individuals who are accused later, but yeah. So to start off, we'll talk about Cotton Mather. He's probably one of the more popular, I don't want to say popular infamous names to do with the Salem witch trials. Mm. So Mather was a Puritan minister and a learned man who actually studied at Harvard and 
revolted against the British government and King James II. His father was Increase Mather, and he was also a well-known minister in his time. It's funny because when you research Cotton Mather, many of the resources start to praise him almost for his writing and his ministry. Hmm. And in my opinion, they should just get right down to the terrible part that he played in the trials. Right. He's believed to have set off the entire Salem witch panic when he observed the Goodwin children's fits. So these were uh, children, a child he actually took home for observation purposes, which we could, I don't even want to go there. And then wrote all about these fits in, I guess, his work called Memorable Provinces. Hmm. I mean, we could pick that apart too. Why are you taking a child home to observe them? Yeah. Can't you observe them in their own home? Like, like, uh, (laughs) maybe you were doing some skeevy stuff and they were having fits because they didn't want to participate. That could be exactly like there's so many different angles to, to this that I don't even think a lot of people look into, you know, unless you sit here and really examine it. So, okay. So he said there was no medical reasons for these fits and that there were most definitely people practicing witchcraft in the community and putting everyone's immortal souls at risk. Was he a doctor? No, I don't believe so. So why is he? Exactly. Medical. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So writers who opposed the trials criticized cotton and increase only a few years after the fact of the trials and essentially called them both the fire starters. But hold on. But in the beginning, you said that increase is in Britain, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So where does he come into this? I feel like he actually comes back at some point, but I, I didn't dig real deep into increases role. I do know that he played a role in it though, but I just don't know to what level it might have to do with what he just him being a pre minister and, you know, setting the religious tone. Does that make sense? Right. You know, well, and he was the governor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Emerson Tad Baker, who is a professor of history at Salem State University, says it may seem hard to believe, but Governor Phipps carefully chose men he described as persons of the best prudence to judge the Salem witch trials. These men were wealthy merchants and high ranking militia officers. The chief justice was William Stoughton the newly appointed deputy governor of the colony. He was from Dorchester and was joined by four judges from neighboring Boston, Captain Samuel Sewell, Major John Richards, Major General Waite Winthrop, and Peter Sargent. Try to say all those names like three times fast. (laughs) Three justices, Jonathan Corwin, which that name is brought up a lot and like Hollywood, Salem shows and whatnot, John Hawthorne and Colonel Bartholomew Gedney, who came from Salem and as Essex County judges had already been involved in the crisis. The ninth member of the court, Colonel Nathaniel Souton Stoll, lived in Haverhill on the northern edge of Essex County. So basically, they're like it's just all. I, I just feel like all first these of men all, are it's all biased, men, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, first of all, it's all men, exactly. And we already know that women are good for breeding and cleaning at this point in history. So mm-hmm. and praying. 
Oh, well, lots of praying. Yes, exactly. Okay. So how big was this problem? Was this fire? Like how many people were accused, jailed, tried, executed? What are the numbers? Yeah. So it's kind of funny too, because I'd actually dig around to really get the actual numbers, but there were at least 150 accusations. So meaning, you know, people being accused, but there was uh, 141 actual arrests and then 31 convictions and 20 executions that we know of, because keep in mind, the documents aren't always consistent and scholars believe some might've been changed to protect the families involved in the finger pointing um, as they were kind of later ashamed of the whole thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not to mention the panic spread had spread outward from Salem to other local communities, including Beverly, Boston, Andover, and Charlestown among others. So I wonder if we included all of the numbers um, of those, I'm sure that would grow exponentially. Probably. Yeah. So Let's talk about the victims. Oh, and I should say, you know, I didn't bring this up, but I said 20 executions that we know of, but there were also people that actually died in jail that Mm -hmm. I didn't even, I didn't include those numbers because it it was just hard to track down, but there was a lot of, I mean, this, this was just a load of crap basically. Right. A lot of people died and, and you know, that didn't need to. So, okay. So some specific people, is that what you said? Yes. The victims. Okay. So these are just a few, obviously we we've said there's been hundred feet, 150 people accused at least. So, but some of the bigger stories involved with the Salem witch trials, Sarah good is a name you might hear a lot. Mm-hmm. Heard she, that one. Yeah. She is one who denied the accusations to the end. She made this statement to Reverend Noyes, I, I don't know how to pronounce that. N O Y E S. Her, this was her accuser, the guy that accused her. She said, I am no more a witch than you are a wizard. And if you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. <laughs> and in 1717, Reverend Noyes choked on his own blood after a brain hemorrhage. Mm. Mm. Witchcraft? Question mark. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe Sarah really was a witch. <laughs> wow. Oh, and may- oh, check this out. What if she was a witch and he really was a wizard? And it was mm. like a what like a witch war, like in that in the Salem show. Could be. Could be. Dorcas? Who named somebody Dorcas? <laughs> Come on, man. It was an old name. People liked the name back then. I don't know. Well, that's just like who names their kid Increase? Yeah, or Cotton or all of these other names. Well, Cotton, I could see. Yeah. Just because of the time and the whatever, but Increase? What? Or Dorcas? I don't know. So Dorcas Good was actually Sarah's four-year-old daughter, which is really sad. Oh, yeah, because she's really. Right. Who was jailed and confessed, duh, because she's four but was bailed out by a villager not long after. Thank goodness. We don't know if there was ever a conviction in her case, but I'm glad that somebody was compassionate enough to get her out of there. Yeah. Because come on, man, she's four. Come Ridiculous. On. Yeah. Stupid. Uh, and we, we should do an episode in the future on some of the European witch trials, because there was a lot of kids involved in that as well, as well as animals. Hmm craziness. Okay. Bridget Bishop. This one's probably the most prolific. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. She was a successful bar owner. She owned two bars alongside her wealthy husband. She was also an attractive woman who did what she pleased, wore colors that people said were of the devil. Oh, she must've worn red. I thought red or green. Yeah. Red was the first thing that popped into my mind. She was accused of witchcraft and of tormenting some of the married men in the town in their dreams. <laughs> like really, or could it just have been that they went to the bar and got drunk and then went home and fantasized about her? I'm going to say option B. Right. For a thousand. <laughs> Interestingly, she had been accused of witchcraft 12 years prior to Salem and was found innocent. Mm. The second time around though, she's found guilty and she does ultimately hang on gallows Hill. Oh. Yeah. Pretty terrible. So Reverend George Burroughs is accused and convicted of being the devil of the coven. So okay. he's the leader in their eyes at his hanging. He said the Lord's prayer perfectly, which made everyone believe he was innocent. So people start demanding that he's freed, but old Cotton Mather convinced the crowd otherwise, and he was hanged anyway. That sounds like a competition mm-hmm. between ministers. Oh, yeah. So Martha Corey, at her trial, she prayed in front of hundreds of people. The afflicted girls accused Martha of coming to them and tormenting them in astral form with a book in her hand. Mm. They said she had a yellow bird as her familiar that suckled between her fingers. And when asked, Martha said she was a gospel woman and had no knowledge of such things. The accusing girls in the courtroom yelled that she was a gospel witch and basically bent and writhed in pain whenever Martha moved in the courthouse. They claim she was tormenting them in astral form right in front of the entire court. So this is okay. why I believe it, it was a big, for me, this, this points to me, it's, this to me points to there's some like theatrics going on for attention or whatever. Right. I don't know for sure, but that's just my theory, especially with that part. Like really Giles Corey is Martha's husband who was also accused of witchcraft when he refused to enter any plea. They used a pressing method to try to extract a plea out of him. He refused because he knew at the time, if he didn't enter a plea, they couldn't technically try him and his property would be passed down to his heirs in the wake of his death. So with the pressing method, they would put stone on stone or stone after stone on top of him and kept asking him, are you guilty? What is your plea? And they would stack more stones. Every time they would ask him though, what is your plea? He would respond more weight. Smart man. Definitely. And uh, my, he's my half brother, but on his dad's side, he descends from Giles Corey, which is pretty cool. Oh, wow. It's not in my side though. <laughs> <laughs> so when he called me up, he's like, guess what I found in the family tree. And he told me, and then he's like, but it's on my dad's side. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's pretty. I, I love that story though. I just think, yeah, Giles Corey was super smart. And then maybe and last- the most- Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and last but not least. Yeah. Probably the most more famous, I guess, of the accused is Tichuba. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of speculation on where she actually came from. But what I found is she was likely an indigenous Kalina Colombian 
possibly a Caribbean slave. Um, she was in the Paris home of whom the girls accused of teaching them witchcraft. That was the first kind of big moment that set the whole thing off as we discussed earlier. Sources show she had been a kitchen slave in Barbados, but was likely captured or sold into slavery from her native Columbia. She was the first to be accused of witchcraft by Elizabeth Paris and Abigail Williams, which we said she first spoke against the accusations claiming her innocence, but was later beaten by Samuel Paris and then confessed to making a witch cake and mm. also to, to excuse me, also to practicing defensive magic that her mistress in Barbados taught her. Mm. So there's some interesting like defensive techniques that she put into play also to save herself during the trials, mm. including her confession to folk magic practices, but also she was accusing others in nearby towns uh, of also practicing witchcraft. So to me, this is like deflecting the blame, you know, elsewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. In addition, she be she kind of becomes a spectacle to the townspeople because just her words would send people into fits. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know what even that means, but she also claimed that there were many familiar spirits in Salem influencing the witches. Um, these specific witches that she was accusing of witchcraft. She said these witches had red foxes, wolves, cats, dogs, birds, rats, and hogs. Again, I feel like all of this is just a big story to, to get the like attention off of herself. Apparently she spent some years in a Boston jail before being bought out and eventually becoming a slave to another family. But we don't ultimately know what happened to her. It's mm, terrible. Yeah, pretty much. So now that we know who the accusers are and who the victims are, and we've painted a very bleak and sad scene, what do you think actually caused the Salem witch trials? Okay. So we'll go over a couple different theories here. The first one we're going to go over because it's often discussed is ergot poisoning. And I've heard this one. Yeah. And this one was interesting to me when I researched it too. So this theory came about in the late 1970s when a scholar put forth the claim that the Salem townspeople had suffered an outbreak of ergot on the rye that they were using to make their bread. This is basically a fungus that can cause hallucinations. Um, okay. Yeah. So ergot is a fungus that causes hallucinations when made into bread. In addition to paranoia and hallucinations, Ergot poisoning causes a weakened immune system, twitching and muscle spasms, heart problems, and more. So this same issue is theorized to have played a large part in the medieval plague outbreaks and in a terribly disturbing event called the dancing death, where hundreds of people essentially danced until they died. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. I find it extremely interesting. Maybe that's a topic we should explore on Amir as well. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Go ahead. What do you have to say? Nothing really. I have heard that theory though. And it does make some sense because yeah, we're does. also talking yeah. about a time period when there was no preservatives. There was no nothing like that. Like there was. And I agree with you, but the scientific uh, like analysis of it or the medical analysis of it, which we're going to get into kind of turned me away from that theory. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So according to an article written by Spanos and Gottlieb, the ergot poisoning theory is unfounded and likely untrue. 
as to the reason for the Salem witch trials. They claim that ergot poisoning has two distinct groups of symptoms based on one's diet and vitamin deficiencies. In order to suffer neurological effects, the individual would have to have a significant vitamin A deficiency. So this is going to be a lot, but just roll with me here. So vitamin A specifically comes from a diet rich in dairy and fish both of which the residents of Salem consumed as staples in their diet, being a fishing community who relied on dairy. Instead, if they did suffer ergot poisoning in Salem, they would have showed a totally separate group of symptoms, Mm. which basically manifests as a gangrenous condition. And there is absolutely no evidence of a gangrenous outbreak in Salem at this time. So Basically what I'm saying is in order for the ergot poisoning to create neurological effects for them to have paranoia and hallucinations and all these things that might have caused the witch panic, they would have had to have been deficient in vitamin A, which is something that we know that they definitely had in their diet. Right. So that kind of blows that theory out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was kind of like, Oh, cause I always thought the ergot poisoning theory was interesting. Right. So, but now I don't, I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what's the second theory as to the Salem witch trials, which I feel like is more probably the right theory or a combination of things. So mass hysteria with religious beliefs and superstition. Hmm. Yeah. Of course, with a dose of prepubescent theatrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and thinking about, ad- you know, pre adolescent girls and adolescent women and putting that into context in the time and place in which they existed, mm-hmm. building a new community probably took up a lot of time. Yeah. For the adults. Definitely. So kids were going to do anything to get their parents' attention. Mm, Good point. So yeah, that makes total sense. Very good point. And then you kind of think about too, like, were these girls even educated on things like menstruation? No, absolutely not. Because yeah, the religion was so deep. Right. So I wonder how much of that plays a part into how they saw the world and why, you know, if that right. scared them, you know, like, mm. okay. and last but not least mm-hmm. PTSD, which okay. is interesting. It's interesting theory. According to writer Gordon Harris with historic Ipswich building a new society in the wilderness while surrounded by wild animals and hostile Indians induced transgenerational trauma and psychological symptoms that we now know as PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as mass conversion disorder, which culminated in the Salem witch trials. Another name for mass conversion disorder, by the way, is mass hysteria. So Mm. essentially we have a combination of religiosity, superstition, adaptation to a new environment and potential psychological disorders uh, with mass hysteria to blame. Yeah, that's probably more spot on. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think there there was one specific cause. No. Now, w- even even with the ergot poisoning, I always felt like if you know 
if that was a thing, it was probably part of the reason, but mm-hmm. definitely not the whole reason. I agree. Hundo P. Hundo P, as you would say. Hundo P. All right. <laughs> so why don't you tell the listeners about some movies or TV shows on this topic? The, so the first one on this list is Salem, the TV series. This one, we've we've actually talked about this before on this podcast. Yes. Uh, and how I feel it's probably the most accurate. Um, and you will actually see how what we've been talking about as far as the weather being terrible, the conditions mm-hmm. being horrendous, all of that. The political the, the re- climate. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's some fantastical elements to it too, but yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But aside from that, aside from the fan fantasy portion of the show, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that it's the most historically accurate when considering the environmental, social, political, religious, all of that. Yes. I was totally addicted to that show. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The next one on the list is the crucible from 1996 supposed to be one of the better films there was a version made in the 50s and then another in the 2000s i don't even know if i've seen that i haven't but i know a lot of people that talk about it so i don't know maybe we need to watch that (laughs) yeah okay um the the next one is the lords of salem this is a horror film by rob zombie let me just say something about horror films by rob zombie i have only ever seen one and i will never watch another (laughs) Yeah, you have to really like horror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that's I've no seen, joke. I've seen two of them, and they still haunt my dreams. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I can't, oh, what is the name of it? I cannot remember what the name of that movie There's was. There's House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. That's the one. Mm-hmm. The Devil's Rejects. That's the one that I watched, and uh, I yeah, after that, I was completely... Like Rob Zombie, you're the 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 man when it comes mm-hmm. to horror films because I am thoroughly crapping my pants. <laughs> Thank you. He's a really interesting individual in general, but definitely. And then last but not least, there is the Salem Witch Trials, which is a drama and historical show. Uh, wait, it's a movie. Drama? Oh, a historical drama. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, and it's a 2002 TV movie. Mm-hmm. So maybe Google that. See where you, and just for everybody out there, because I'm being super kind, there is an app called Just Watch. Everybody needs to get it because you can literally type in any show into this app, right? And it works mm-hmm. like IMDb, nice. but also tells you where you can watch the shows for free and then everywhere else and how much they are. Nice. Okay, great. Seriously, get the app. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Where can people learn more about the Salem witch trials that are as like legit primary sources? So the first one is called Cry Witch, the Salem Witch Trials 1692 by Juliet H. Mofford. Mm. The second one I have here is Diary and Life of Samuel Sewell by Mel Yazawa. And the last is Daily Life During the Salem Witch Trials by K. David Goss. That'd be an interesting one to read that one from 1692. Is that when it was written? No. Oh, I thought that was when it was written. Mm-mm. 
I think the diary and life of Samuel Sewell might, might actually have been his diary or pieces of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so cool when you find stuff like that. Oh yeah. Cause I remember when I was doing my capstone paper for my history degree and I had to find primary sources on crazy horse and some of it was actual diaries from, uh, different prominent indigenous figures. And it was so cool. Mm, Awesome. All right. You want to wrap it up before we wrap it up? I did want to say that on our Patreon, you can find a summary in a book of shadows format page that you can print out all Mm. on all this information that we talked about here, just a summary of it, but it's kind of cool. You can print it out and put in your book of shadows. Yeah. I'm super stoked about the book of shadows pages that we're producing, uh, this season, because some of them are going to be fillable. Some of them are going to be informational, Mm -hmm. but I feel like each and every one of them is useful, unique and useful Mm -hmm. and is a great addition to anybody's book of shadows. I'm printing them all out for myself. I know me too. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So we're going to wrap it up. Yep. Wrap us up. All right. We'd like to thank you all for joining us for another season five episode and hope you'll tune in next week for another exciting hour of witchcraft, enchantment, theories, and laughs. Feel free to join our Patreon to support our show and help us to continue to bring you the best in witchy podcasted education. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.